You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Faye, it happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. When lightning strikes, where you're meant to go, you can stand and shout your Welcome, everyone, to When Lightning Strikes. Uh, We've all had it, that eureka moment, that proverbial light bulb inside of you goes off, the heavens open, the seas part, you're tingly, you feel it, and you know at that moment you've realized, this is what I must do. Today I have Annie Golden. Welcome, Annie Golden. Cheryl, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so good. For someone who's a shut-in, I have been in touch with people. I was on a call, a FaceTime call for three hours to my friend in Brighton just outside of London yesterday. (laughs) Three hours? Yeah, which we never had done. He had said, let's FaceTime. We've just been emailing back and forth. And so we did that. And it was just so wonderful. That's extraordinary it, how we connect in such a different way now, which is yes. really fascinating and often beautiful. Yeah. But what's extraordinary about you? I mean, just a little bit of backstory about you that you were you were the lead singer in the shirts. Yes. You were discovered by Milos Forman when you yes. were uh, singing at CBGB's. Yes. You were in uh, the movie of Hair. Then you were in the revival of Hair on Broadway. You've been in a trillion Broadway shows. Well, not a trillion, but a lot of Broadway shows, like the original production of Assassins and the Full Monty and Violet mm-hmm. and on and on. And you were in Orange is the New Black and um, Broadway Bounty Hunter. um, And it's on and on and on and on. And I love your, how eclectic you are as an artist. (laughs) (laughs) You know, people go, uh, oh, so when did you choose that in your career? It's like, honey, there ain't no choosing in this career. You have to be chosen. You sit by the phone and you wait to be chosen. So I've, I've been very blessed. Yeah. With a lot of different, a lot of different opportunities throughout the decades. And what I wanted to start, because what I love is I, um, I remember talking to Joe Iconis, 
who uh, wrote Broadway Bounty Hunter for you. Yes. And he talks about how you are his muse and how he uh, wrote this uh, musical back when he was a student at NYU. Mm-hmm. And he said to his, uh, he said to the casting director, well, I wrote this, this character, um, it's sort of an Annie Golden type for an Annie yes. Golden. And she said, well, I've worked with Annie Golden, so I could, you know, do you want me to ask her to do it? And you said yes. Yes. Um, and what's extraordinary is that you've maintained this connection with him. And then he wrote Broadway Bounty Hunter for you. For you, yeah. And- so the story, the story that you just imparted, uh, Gerald, is how I met Joe, and that was through the black suits. Yeah. That was his black box thesis presentation, and he had written. It's about a garage band, so it's high school guys, yeah. and then there's a nosy neighbor lady, and that that was Mrs. Waring, and that was the role that he wrote with me in mind, and then um, he brought it to. Uh, to Marie Costanza, who is at NYU, the adult, uh, the master's program. And it came across her desk. And she had just produced a musical that I was the title role of called Mimi Leduc. And it was the last thing that Eartha Kitt ever did live on stage. So um, Marie was, Marie read this, this, uh, you know, pitch and this character breakdown on Joe's musical, The Black Suits. And um, she reached out to him and said, you know, I've just worked with Annie. So if you'd like me to, I can get it to her. Long story short, nine, 10 years later, no one has ever done Mrs. Waring but me. So I'm very proud of that. I love that. And one thing Joe says is that you're always you are his muse and that he says, I've worked with her so many times. Mm-hmm. I always felt how come no one's written a classy leading lady role for her. She's always mm. the sidekick or the best friend. She always comes and steals the show and there should be a show built for Annie. And, <laughs> and he said, we were so inspired to write something for an actress of your stature and age where you could be the center of your own story. And it didn't have to be about somebody's mother or about being someone's wife. That it could be, it could be about you. And you could be allowed to be a kick-ass and sexy and funny and weird. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so Broadway Bounty Hunter was a whole love letter to you. Yes. And I just love that. So I just I just think that's a beautiful sort of of who you are in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, this badass, awesome performer um, who's so eclectic. Can you talk about your lightning bolt moment? Your, uh, it could be several moments when you knew you had to be an artist. When I was in the third grade uh, of Catholic school, um, uh, we were. It was Christmas time, and we were learning uh, a hymn 
put to the um, melody of Greensleeves, the classic melody of Greensleeves. And the hymn is called What Child Is This? And it's a challenging melody, and it's really quite beautiful. And the nun was um, writing the lyrics on the po- on the board, and when she turned around to run it down with the class, uh, she got a little confused with the melody. She was like, "Wait a second, I've lost the. Wait a second, I'm, I'm not, I'm not singing this properly." And so she said, "Does anyone remember that?" And I raised my hand and I said, "I do." And um, you know, I wasn't one to raise my hand. So uh, with uh, academic stuff, math and science and stuff, but when it came to music, I was always, you know, right there. So I raised my hand and I said, "You know, I can sing it." And I can sing it back to you, I think. And she was like, okay, well, then try it. So I started it, and she stopped me and said, no, 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 no. You're never going to listen. You're never going to hit the pitches. It's You started too high. And I, and I started again, and because I don't know, I just started in the same pitch. And I went through the whole melody, and, you know, her, her jaw dropped a little bit like, uh, oh, Okay. So she went next door and she got the choir, the the nun who uh, led the choir. And she said, listen to this. And I sang it again, a cappella in the same pitch that I had, you know, chosen in my head. And, um, and then I was in the choir. So that was when I realized, um, you know, I had not auditioned for the choir or tried out for the choir um, myself. But that's how they got me into the into the choir. So um, that's when I knew that I had some kind of aptitude or ability that maybe the other kids in the third grade didn't have. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was a that was a mini lightning moment. But um, you know, as you said, it was decades later when I was fronting the shirts at CBGBs that. Academy Award-winning film director Milos Forman, you know, won the Academy Award for a One Floor with the Cuckoo's Nest. And um, he was either talent scouting or slumming, depending on how you look at it. And he came back <laughs> to CBGB's looking for new original talent. He, you know, he he was a great uh, he he was a great discoverer of um, unknown people you know, like Edward Norton and uh, Courtney Love. And, you know, he would give people opportunities. And um, he plucked me right out of that scene and put me in a major motion picture. So that was like another (laughs) lightning strikes (laughs) moment. So I was just, you know, I'm just ravaged by lightning and blessings is what I what I should really just say. See, that's so extraordinary. I want to unpack. There's so much here to unpack because what I want to go back to that classroom in the third grade. Uh What gave you that courage? What gave you that inspiration to say to the, to speak up out of all those third graders? Why, why did you feel that need, that desire to say, Oh, I think it, I think it was probably to help you know, to help someone. She was like, oh, I've, oh, now I've lost the melody. I, and it's green sleeves. I should know this melody, you know. And so to help her, uh, you know, and as I say, I wasn't a pretty present kid in the class. I, like a lot of us, I wasn't a pretty present kid in the class when it came to um, other subjects. So I think it was to help her out. And also, I now that you ask me, I realized my, my, my very best friend's birthday is Saturday. We're going to be doing a zoom call. And, um, 
she, uh, she, I think it was the other kids were kind of going, you know, poking at me like, you know, you, Annie knows it. Annie will do it. Annie can do it. So, I mean, not with sports, not with academic, would I ever be volunteered by my peers. But the other kids were going, Annie could probably sing. Annie probably remembers it. So I think I was um, supported by my classmates and that gave me the courage to just go, I think I could try it. And then when she said, you know, no, 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 you've started too high. You're never going to hit it. And Um, then I started again thinking I had adjusted when I had not and just, you know, and just went with it. So I think I was encouraged. So I think that's why, um, you know, and that's been a theme throughout my life to be encouraged by others. Yeah, that's so beautiful that you found the strength to start again. You know, the lot just a lot of people would have just thought, "Oh, I can't do it." She said, "Yeah, just shut down, just be shut, shut down." down. Good for you for having that internal flame. But did you grow up? Say, were you always singing? When did you know you could sing? Um, my dad, my dad was, uh, was, a a big band singer and a drummer. Uh-huh. Uh, so he sang when he was in the service, he sang and, uh, at family functions, he was always asked to sing. Um, I remember as a young girl, you know, I would go to functions, you know, christenings and, and birthday parties and weddings and, you know, people would be like, you know, Pat sing, you know, Patrick sing, you know? So, um, he was always singing and I would get like embarrassed by it, you know, kids with parents, I would get embarrassed by like, Oh God, here he goes. But he gave such delight to the family members and people were so, so thrilled to have him sing. And, um, so then when my mother passed away, I remember he and my mother died very young at 42. My father asked me to accompany him. I'm the oldest of six. And my father asked me to accompany him to a wedding the first time, his first outing since he was widowed. And I went uh, to the wedding and um, they asked him to sing. And he said, I will if my little girl joins me. So he needed me to bolster him because he knew he was going to get asked to sing. And he wasn't sure he felt like singing after he lost the love of his life. And so, again, it was this support system and something that was emotionally uh, intense that I was called upon to, you know, step up. And I couldn't be afraid and I couldn't be selfish and I couldn't be embarrassed. I just had to do it. That's so beautiful. Do you remember what you sang at the wedding? Uh, yeah, it's um, it's it was one of his mainstays, um, an old standard called "There Goes My Heart." Oh, really? That's so healing. Yeah, we both singing together. It's really yeah. beautiful. Now take me to. Can you take me to CBGBs and then? <laughs> and now for something completely different. <laughs> what a transition, right? Yeah. Quite beautiful. And, yeah. You know, um, but that did you ever let that where can you talk about where you were in your life then when you were seen with the shirts and 
Yeah. Um, well, I was, I you know, I was a, I was a secretary by day. Uh, those are, those are people who are now called administrative assistants. Um, but you know, I took dictation and I, I typed, which people don't know about. That's like, you know, my former life that I, you know, my organizational skills and, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really good at that stuff because I was a secretary for many years. Um, and so I was a secretary by day and I went to, you know, rock clubs at night and, and I, I was out in Brooklyn with my very best friend that I just, just spoke of, Marie, whose birthday is Saturday and um, day after tomorrow. And uh, she, you know, and we went out and I met these guys who were in a band and they said, you know, you should come by, you know, to rehearsal. We have a storefront. And so I went and I came by and I started hanging out and I started uh, following them. And then I started sitting in. They would call me up when they would have a gig and I would be there and they would call, call me up to, you know, sit in with them. And then eventually I became I became a band member, full on band member. And so we would do covers and then we would do, you know, then we would do originals and we crossed the bridge. There was a scene at CBGB's and we, we crossed the bridge from Brooklyn to, you know, the Bowery and, um, and we got a gig at CBGB's and the rest, the rest is, is CBGB's history. And then the rest is also my history because if I had not, CBGB's is kind of my Schwab's drugstore you know lana turner was discovered sitting at the counter at the schwab's drugstore she probably wouldn't have been discovered you know what i'm saying yeah i hear you i hear i I love that story because it just doesn't happen like that that here you are at singing at cbgb how long had you been uh with the shirts at that point and singing at cbgb's i think maybe uh let's see maybe uh uh, two, two or three years, we did block parties. We did, you know, local uh, local uh, bars and uh, concert uh, venues in Brooklyn. And then, like I said, we we would read the Village Voice or we would read the Soho Weekly News, and it would talk about this magical scene that was happening. All kinds of music, all original from all the boroughs, and then people started to migrate. Like the the Talking Heads came from Rhode Island. Uh, the Ramones were mainstays. They were like the house band they came from queens so we came in from brooklyn and and we you know asked for a gig and we got one and then um they did the live at cbgb album which was a way the the bands that weren't getting signed by by labels um like sire records indie labels or um you know atlantic uh, you know major labels um, they put together this live at CBGB's for the kind of the cast off. So the misfits that didn't get signed and, um, you know, like Blondie got signed, the Ramones got signed, Talking Heads got signed. So a lot of us were on this live at CBGB's album and then we did a tour to support that. So suddenly I was legit, you know, yeah. so I started becoming a temp, a temp secretary. So I worked at United Artists for a while and I worked at ABC Public Relations uh, wow. for a while. So when I had to go, I would just, you know, leave my day job and, and go. So it was, um, it was a gypsy life even before I got to Broadway. That's extraordinary. Can you recreate that moment or tell me about that moment when Milos came into your life? Was it like after... He came up to you. Did he come up to you afterwards? Did he have somebody call you? Like, how did that all? 
transpire? The uh, the story goes that um, Milos came in one night, uh, just talent scouting, and um, I think that um, I know he had uh, Geraldine Chaplin on his arm, and um, he had uh, a fashion model on his arm, and uh, and he came in, and he and he he alerted the club. He said, you know, who's, who's the proprietor. And so Hilly came from the bar to the front door and he said, I'd, I'd like a table. I'd like to look at a couple of bands and, uh, I'm looking for, you know, uh, I'm casting a new movie. And so Hilly accommodated thrillingly. And then, um, and then I was told afterwards that, that, that he had been there, uh, talent scouting because, Hilly told me, the proprietor, Hilly Crystal, he told me, so he's going to come back and he wants to see boys and girls. So I'm going to set up a night with, you know, uh, bands that have girls in them and uh, bands, you know, all had boys in them. So and uh, he said, I'm going to set up a night and he wants to come again and he wants the shirts to be on the bill because he wants to see you guys again. So um, that's what happened. And it wasn't until the second time that he came that um he came backstage and said, um, yeah, I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to, you know, I'd, I'd like to contact you. I'd like to keep in touch. Um, so then, you know, contact information was exchanged. And uh, I went to his penthouse across from Central Park West. And I sat across uh, on the park wall. I couldn't believe my luck. I was going to a penthouse off of Central Park West, took the subway in from Brooklyn. And then I went into the building and I had never been in an elevator that goes right to the apartment door. You know, that opens to your apartment door. Uh, So it's all security and you have to be, you know, you have to be cleared uh, to go to that floor. And I went to his floor and the door opened and he greeted me. And then Michael Weller was there, the, the guy who adapted the play to the screenplay and um, they handed me some pages and I did what is now known. I, I, I learned as a cold read. And then we did some improvisation and I saw his, his Oscar in his trophy case in his China closet there with the glass door. I saw it. He had a beautiful, uh, he still has it. His widow's there. Martina's there. Um, it has a beautiful view of Central Park. And um, and I was there for a few hours, and then I went home. And then and then I danced for Twyla Tharp, which was a debacle. And, um, and uh, yeah, it was just, uh, it, was, it was a process. And I was a fish out of water. And my working class roots, you know, uh, told me to just keep quiet, don't ask questions, just absorb everything and try to figure it out for yourself. And, and that's what I did. And, um, and I was chosen. So that was like another, another lightning strikes moment where I was like, whoa, this is the big time. Yeah. Did you, did you know the songs of hair at that? I mean, did you know and love hair? Um, not, not really. Cause that, I mean, I remembered that it was groundbreaking because as a kid, I saw them, I guess on Ed Sullivan and maybe I saw them on the Tony awards or something like that. But, um, I didn't really, uh, I, you know, I, I, 
I was a flower child. I mean, I did I did go to Central Park on my weekends and stuff, and I did buy incense and peasant blouses in the village. But um, I didn't um, I I didn't really grasp anything until um, until I was in it, until I was in the thick of it, and then and then I learned stuff. And I loved working with Galt McDermott, who was the composer, and then Tom Peer- Pe- Tom Pearson, who was the um, musical director. I don't know how I remember this stuff, Gerald, but I think yes. it's just that I'm very aware when I'm in it. Yes. You yes. know, I'm just really firing on all, you know, on, on uh, all guns. And I just kind of go, this is an opportunity. Be present and yes. grasp it. And, you know, don't, don't try not to be, you know, you're totally intimidated, but try not to show it. And, you know, just, just kind of take it all in. And I love that you, you said that you sang at his memorial. Right? Yes, I did. Two, two Septembers ago, we lost him in April, uh, two years ago. And, um, right after that. And I, I have always been in touch with the family. I have always stayed in touch with the family because, that's, you know, that's my thing. I love the kids. I love the, you know, I I love the spouses. I just, I love the whole familial um, uh, aspect of it. And so I, you know, it's not just a job for me. It's a career and it's my life. So, um, and it enriches my life, not just the work. But uh, so I was contacted by his twins. Uh, Milos has uh, two sets of twin boys, uh, 20 years apart. So he has the Czech twins that he had when he was a young man, and um, he has the uh, the second set of twins who are the American twins. So the second set of twins were born during um, uh, Man on the Moon. So the twins are uh, named Jimmy and Andy after Andy Kaufman and Jim Carrey, and the um, the Czech twins, who I know longer because, you know, uh, I was involved with Milos, you know, decades ago, uh, are Peter and Matek. And they uh, they were doing a documentary about their father's life, and they were putting on this tribute, Milos Forman Day, in Prague uh, at the, at the Zol, Zoltan uh, Palace in Prague, and they invited you know, many people, and they were going to show film clips of their father's uh, films, uh, Czech and American, and he won another Academy Award for Amadeus after uh, after Cuckoo's Nest, after Hair, he did Amadeus, and he won another, another Oscar, very accomplished person, and um, so I went to Prague, they invited me to go to Prague, uh, so I got to sing... Uh, Walking in Space and Good Morning Starshine with a famous Czech rock band called Meteor. And then I got to sing at the end of the night, the finale, with the Prague Philharmonic, uh, Frank Mills. And I mean, you're scared, you know, whenever you have to sing, I think any musical theater person will tell you on an audition that they have to sing, it, the level of nerves is, you know, is heightened. Because you're not just bringing your acting chops, you have to be in good voice and you have to uh, perform the song. And, you know, so it was a wonderful opportunity. It was a great experience. And they're doing a documentary. And, um, 
you know, the Philharmonic was there. It was being conducted by um, their maestro, who did all the music for Amadeus, all the, all the classical, uh, uh, you know, uh, all the Mozart stuff for Amadeus. So part of the program was that. And then at the end, I, I got up and sang this beautiful, beautiful arrangement with another conductor um, for the, uh, for Frank Mills. And it was just so beautiful. And, um, that was two years ago and they're working on the documentary, the life of their father. And they showed film clips and interviews. And I got Treat Williams to do a testimonial. I got Michael Douglas to do a testimonial. I got Woody Harrelson to do a testimonial, but it came in too late. So we couldn't use it, but it's probably going to be in the documentary. So yeah, cause I did cheers with Woody <laughs> I I did it runs in the family with Michael Douglas and Kirk Douglas my idol and um I had done you know hair with treats so I reached out to everybody and they came back they came back with video testimonials that the that the sons put in the in the documentary and were there for the evening that they played it it was so great It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I think of the six degrees of you. And um, of course, now what you're working on sounds so fascinating. Let's talk about Bleeding Love uh, yeah. on the Broadway Podcast Network. Yes. And I think, oh my goodness, talk about art imitating life. Yes. <laughs> yes. Extraordinary. So if people don't know that it uh that Bleeding Love is a musical about people in this post-apocalyptic world who are cloistered inside because it's too dangerous to go outside. And what's so crazy and surreal is that this was created pre-coronavirus. So can you talk about that and, and um, what that's been like for you? Well, it's been really wonderful. I mean, in 2016, an actor that I that I really enjoy working with, I've I've sung um, Assassin's Duet with him many times, Harris Duran. He's also a writer and a, and a brilliant director. Um, he had written uh, this, uh, as you say, this uh, beautiful with operatic uh, pop music. He had written this story, Bleeding Love, and I play the oldest living left alive person, uh, Madame Floyd, and he had written this uh, musical. And we had done like a two-week workshop of it in New York, and I loved it. And then, um, and then he contacted me and said that he had... Um, 
had the opportunity to do a production, he and the um, uh, the composer. Um, Harris is the uh, lyricist, and um, Arthur Franz Bacon wrote the music. And uh, we did this two-week workshop, and then he said we got we were able to get a production done in Denmark. So they did the production, they recorded the production, and then um, Harris contacted me and said, okay, we're going to do something really um, uh, kind of risky, and I hope you're down for it, but we're going to send you the music, we're going to send you the tracks, and there's a Madame Floyd there already, but she's speaking in Danish. She's singing in Danish. We're going to wipe that and we're going to do the recordings uh, in English to these tracks. So we did it. We went into a studio. It was painstaking because, you know, I, I, I don't read music or anything. And uh, he was patient and great. And he then he came out excited and happy about it. And... Um, so he had these tracks to promote the show to maybe get a production done here in America somewhere. And um, then when all of this went down, he contacted me and said, you know, with the coronavirus and the pandemic and the and the stay at home orders, he said to me, we're going to make it a podcast and we'd like you to play Madame Floyd with the spoken word now. And we're going to record for um, uh, Broadway Podcast Network the dialogue and make it in three chapters or three parts. We're going to do Bleeding Love, and we hope you'll join us. I know the cast. I mean, like you said, Rebecca Naomi Jones, you, yes. Mark Kudish, yep. Sarah Stiles, Taylor Trench, Tony Vincent. And I I mean, who would have thunk, you know, uh, even six months ago, how relevant and how close to life in some in some scary ways, this would be, and the music is just beautiful. The voices, and um, it, what was that like recording it? Um, it was really quite beautiful. Um, it was uh, it's singing like I I don't usually get asked to sing, so that was kind of cool because um, you know it's operatic and. Um, I can do that, but I don't know that people know that I can. It's not where I live. I just visit there. But, um, <laughs> you know, so it touched upon that, which was great, which was, again, another project that stretched me and also showcased me in a way that maybe, you know, people were not were not aware that I had that trick in my, you know, in my bag of tricks. I mean, it's really quite spectacular, that there's that opera in the midst of all the chaos and the fear that that's possible. How do you stay creatively fortified or how do you stay sane during this madness? What are you doing? To feel well, good? there's been some, there's been some nice, you know, people reaching out. Well, because I do qualify as elderly. So people do uh, reach out and check in on me, which is, which is lovely. And, uh, and it's really a tribute to the diverse career I've had and uh, the, the long arm of acquaintances I have across the board. Um, I've been uh, contacted for, we just did, the Full Monty 20-year reunion via Zoom. Uh, <laughs> we're going to do a Violet reunion this weekend via Zoom. Um, 
We also did a, a 29 hour reading of a new musical, which was wonderful. And I didn't think we could do it, but we did it. So, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, love will find a way. I mean, it's, you know, necessity is the mother of invention at this point. And I'm happy to be, you know, to be, to be, uh, uh, to tag along, you know, on these geniuses, uh, star tales. What are these reunions like? That sounds so fun that you are, and how, what, what transpires? It's kind of, um, it's, it's kind of, uh, Hollywood squares, you know, everybody's in their little box and, um, you can always tell a newcomer who hasn't done it before because they talk over you. And once you talk over somebody, it, it craps out. So um, you get really, really good at it. You get good at listening, which, I mean, that's my Norma Romano, you know, skill yes. from Orange is a New Black. I just, I'm happy. I don't have to be talking. I am a chatterbox, but yes. I don't have to be the one talking. I like to listen as well. So yes. um, it's it's really been, you know, it's like the box of Hollywood Squares. So there's a lot of people, you know, uh, visible and you mute your microphone when someone else is talking so that the sound quality is better. And um, you just um, you just reminisce, and it's lovely, and you laugh, and you cry, and it's just great. Is there something you miss about the show? There's uh, everything I miss about the show, starting with the paycheck. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, actually, it's, you know, that was such a, you know, Jenji Cohen created it, and I can honestly say she created it for all of us because if you look at that cast, I mean, talk about diverse. I mean, all uh, ages, all demographics, every shade in the rainbow, every, you know, every shape and size. It was just absolutely so fulfilling and so uh, satisfying to be with that group of women and the new 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 people coming into the storylines. It was just really wonderful. And um, I miss everything about it, uh, just being on set and being with those actresses and just downtime and lunches and the and the profanity and the and the and the perspective and um, just just the the courage and the creativity. I'm I miss all of it. And I'm very proud of that. And I'm, uh, that's, you know, my most recent, you know, uh, lightning strike moment that I was like, how lucky am I to be involved with this? And I do have to tell you that I think it's Joe Iconis. I call him the iconic one. Yeah. Genji Cohen. Um, I, I really believe that people grew up on me and now they're, you know, and thinking, as Joe said, I'm his muse of a certain age. He has many muses, let me tell you. Um, that that people grew up on seeing me in maybe the second slot, the second banana, or the B team, or whatever, and they wanted to push me up front like my third grade classmates. You know, they wanted to say Annie can do it. You know, Annie should be doing it. Annie can do that, and so that's what it is. I mean, it's people who grew up on me are suddenly coming into their own now. And they're remembering me because I have a new series on Fox TV that will drop in the fall if all things go well. And it's yeah. Tate Taylor. And Tate Taylor wrote The Help 
and directed The Help. And he directed Come On Up, the James Brown story. And he directed The Girl on the Train. And he wrote this character for me uh, for this new series he has called Filthy Rich on Fox. And he just contacted me. Same thing with High Maintenance. The people for the HBO High Maintenance, they contacted me and said, we wrote this character for you. We wonder if you would be interested in playing her. So these are people who grew up on me and have seen me around and want to push me to the head of the class. And I'm, I'm happy to do it. I love that they see that, you know, and, and that because you really, I mean, you do disappear into the role, but there's, you're so uniquely you at the same time. You were talking about how in Violet, you know, how discovering, you, you were mentioning to me how you, your friend saw the show and didn't realize it was you until he heard you sing, right? But, yeah. Because yeah. You know, your voice is so distinctly you. It has that that beautiful tone and quality. And, Thank you. Uh, and and um, I know you're doing oh you're you're doing another podcast. It makes a sound. Do you want to yes. tell us what the Night Vale presents? Yeah. Um I I uh I it was um my girlfriend Mary Testa had done a musical with a lovely young actress called Jacqueline Landgraf. And Jacqueline was working on this um this storyline. She didn't know what she was gonna do with it, but there was the role of her mother, and she approached Mary with it when they were working together. And Mary read it and she said this sounds like Annie Golden to me. I mean, I I think you should ask Annie if she wants to do it, which is, which is what I say about this community, which I think in in musical theater programs and in, and in performing arts schools, they they make it a little competitive, like it's a sports event, and it's really not. It's a community of you know people handing off uh, stuff to other people when they know it's right for them and not, you know, right for their friends and not quite in, in their wheelhouse, you know? And so it was Mary uh, who uh, told Jacqueline to reach out to me. And so Jacqueline led with that. She said, Mary Testa thought you might be interested in this. And I was, and it was wonderful. And um, yeah, it's called, it makes a sound and we have season one and we also have a cast album from it. The music is beautiful. So um, yeah, it's, it's really a wonderful opportunity to just be, I don't really listen to talk radio or anything, but Jacqueline was so proud of the podcast. She said, you know, have you heard it? And I said, no. And she sent it to me. And I listened to it and I was so, I was so moved by it and the full, the Foley artistry of the sound effects. And, you know, it was just really a magical, a magical way to escape. It's a story of this um, young, uh, young woman uh, who uh, lived next door to a country club uh, and a golf course. And there was a, a young guy in her town called Will Farrows, and he was a songwriter, and she was crushing on him. And um, she loved his music. And he would play he would play their rec center where they lived, and he would play gigs at the country club as well, birthday parties and stuff like that, like Sweet 16 birthday parties and stuff. And so she remembered his music and she was a young devotee of Will Farrow's, but um, he never went anywhere and she loved his music, this young girl. So she's trying to unearth um, his music 
and the cassette player doesn't work or the cassette the cassette player eats the cassette tape or whatever. And there's her mom who's struggling with Alzheimer's, who's not always there and not always present in the way that she should be. And her mother, it turns out, remembers the music by rote specifically. And it just pours out of mom these songs. So it's it's really quite a beautiful story. Um, and uh, the music, as I say, is, you know, just lovely. And we did season one on Light, Night Vale uh, Presents. And we, uh, we also, uh, Jacqueline is in LA now and she's been working on other seasons. And we hope that we get to continue. At Feinstein's 54 Below at home. <laughs> I know. The I Am Woman. This yes. Wonderful, um, this wonderful show that of uh, all these extraordinary women like you uh, talking about the sort of taboo surrounding women's issues that you bring uh-huh. to the forefront. But talk yeah. more about that. Well, um, uh, Laura Bell Bundy's um, also there, and she's doing a song that she wrote, and I'm doing a song that I wrote called White Picket Fence. So um, that's my Violet connection, again, with, you know, you work with these with these kids, you know, I don't have children of my own, but when you work with, like, I'm still in touch with the boys who were in the Full Monty as, you know, as Nate, as the boy, and, you know, the two, the understudies, the alternates, and in Violet... Emerson Steele played uh, the young Sutton Foster, you know, and so the young Violet. So Emerson, when she made her cabaret debut at Feinstein's 54, which is, I think they think I live there. You know, I'm like a homeless woman who hangs out at the bar because I'm always there as guest soloist because I know everybody and people reach out to me and I love playing that place. So I, you know. I've yet to do my own gig there, but that's in the works, but also, you know, just as guest soloist. So Emerson was making her cabaret debut with all her 16 and 17 year old friends. And she invited me to be her special guest star. And she did from company, uh, not getting married. And I did the bless this day solo. And so she found the perfect the the perfect piece for me to be involved in the show with. And she made her cabaret debut at Feinstein's 54. And then um, now she's going to NYU and uh, she wanted to do this night to empower women. Um, and Jen Sandler produced it. And Jen was one of the producers on Broadway Bounty Hunter. And she produces individual shows at Feinstein's and I've done several. She, she did um, uh, Big Lights, Big City. Uh, she did that evening and I was involved in that. And so, you know, I'm the go-to gal. And when I have a great experience, I'm back in a heartbeat. And so uh, we did it. And I, as I said, I sang a song that I wrote called Why Pick a Fence About Domestic Violence. And, um, and Emerson hosted the evening with her, with her buddy. And um, they had all these fierce women come up and sing. And then we did the Helen Reddy tune, which nobody knew but me because I was around when it, when it was a pop hit. And, um, and that was the theme of the evening. You mentioned something earlier that, I thought it was so fascinating. You said you still get nerves. You still get afraid. Even after, you know, how many Broadway shows have you been in over the yeah. decade? What uh-huh. what makes you kind of calm down and get, because obviously you're booking 
parts. So what <laughs> makes you <laughs> calm down and, and take over you because quash the nerves or maybe not quashing the nerves? What makes yeah. you? Well, you it's, you know, it? you're given an opportunity, you know, and you want to honor that opportunity. That's also, again, my working class roots where, you know, if you're given an opportunity, do the job, don't complain, buck up and get it done. So, and now after all these, you know, all these decades of, you know, doing this, you, um, you say, okay, well, you know, the responsibility lands on my shoulders and, and you better bring it. And you've brung it, you've brung it, you've brung it. That's my Brooklyn. You brought it before and you, you know, and, and you're, you're gonna, you're gonna step up to the plate and, and uh, get the job done, whatever it is, you know. So um, that's really, uh, you have to just, you know, it's like when I worked with uh, Sondheim when I was cast by um, Jerry Zaks for Assassins, you know, I I knew the way, even though I was a rock chick still, you know, in theater, finding my way through, I knew Sondheim was a big deal and it was an original musical, and but now all these you know years later I'm going you know I'm a I'm a Sondheim diva he he wrote something for me you know I created that role I mean I was the first one to do it I mean that that's that's just mind boggling you know but you just have to honor the opportunity and honor your resume and just keep you know doing your best work when you're asked to. Yeah, is there something you say to yourself when you go into a, the audition room, or something, a mantra? I mean, that like, you don't have to reveal your an actual mantra or something you do, or breathing, or or something to stay calm. Yeah, you just you know you say, I mean, you know, it's a it's a trite phrase now. You got this. You know, it's kind of a sports phrase. You know, you got this. But, um, you know. You kind of say, you know, just just breathe, just relax, come on. And also, I I do some coaching sometimes with adults and and children, mostly children. And um, so I use my own mentorship and my own my own um, uh, my own logic on myself, you know. And yeah. so if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. So I kind of. Uh, turn it on myself, you know, and say, you know, you can do this. Why are you intimidated? What, you know, what's going on? And you can always address, you know, with a musical director, you can always say, I, I usually say stuff like, you know, I'm tripping over that phrase. I'm not really, what is it? Can you plunk it out for me? I'm tripping over that. I'm not really hitting the notes, you know, and stuff like that. So you just kind of, you just kind of have to step up to the plate and, and uh, be who, Maybe they expect you to be. Is there something you wish, though, you could have told that that kid that uh, who was seeing at CBGBs, you know, and working in the temp job? Is there something knowing all you know now? Is there something you wish you could advise? Uh, yeah, when I said to you, you know, I was very present and I was firing on, you know, uh, all guns and. Um, because I wanted to absorb everything and take everything in. And then when it got really uh, busy for me and I'm juggling things and I said maybe yes to too many things or I get a bit overwhelmed, I say, 
you know, stop and smell the roses. I mean, appreciate everything. Don't see it as a burden. See it as an opportunity. See it as a gift. So that I would have, you know, because there was some stuff that was happening, you know, uh, stuff was happening so rapidly that I was like, do you enjoy anything? I used to beat myself up and go, okay, so are you enjoying any of this? Can you just sit back and enjoy it? And so I had to work on that because there was so many things passing me by that that stuff was a blur. You know, I would do it and I'd go, so do I remember that song? I mean, did I enjoy singing it? Did I did I like doing that concert? Did I like doing that job? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, you know, I would say, and I already was present, but now I would say even more like, stop, stop your whining that you're so busy. Just be grateful you're so busy and just take everything as it comes and enjoy it to the max. And so I think now with my um, my veteran status, I've gotten to um, be able to uh, micromanage everything or, you know, or specifically handle everything a lot better because I used to get so worn out by everything, you know, and, and like, and say what was most important to me was to do a good job and to enjoy doing a good job. And it was kind of lost on me for a while. So, you know, when, when I was doing hair, the shirts were recording their first album, uh, in London and I flew on the Concorde to go back and forth to, to shoot in Central Park and in, and in Barstow, California, and I was doing a major motion picture with an Academy Award-winning director, and something I had worked for for years with my band, I was doing that, but it wasn't in New York, it was in London. So it was like all these opportunities came at the same time, and I was a bit, I was a bit worn down by, by the pressure of it. And um, now, and also too, I mean, with your veteran status, like I said, you get to maybe um, be accommodated a little more, you know, I don't think in this career, you can never call the shots, but you get to, you get to um, manage things a little better and people will make accommodations for you. So um, it gets, it gets easier, but, but the, but the main thing was I was doing the movie and I was doing the album and it was making me a little crazy because I was like, all these things I worked for for so long and they're all happening now. Why are they all happening now? Don't ask why. Just do it. Just do it. Is there a role you're aching to play? I mean, you, you play the most uniquely original roles, but is there something you're you're just, oh, I got to tackle that? Or is that yet to be written? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's yet to be written, but I... You know, I, I always, I always wanted to play, uh, MAME. Why? I'd love to see your MAME. But yeah, I, I, I really liked that. You know, the, the ant, the, the, uh, the extroverted ant, uh, anti-MAME. I would, uh, I would love to, I love that score. And I remember when I was in the Full Monty, we were collecting for Broadway Cares and I was, uh, at the door with my red bucket and, um, uh, Jerry Herman had come to the matinee and when he left and, you know, you miss the curtain call when you're collecting, you leave the curtain call so that you can be at the door when the audience leaves. And um, so I just had a moment with Jerry Herman and I didn't say, I didn't say that, but I did say, um, 
you know, he, he complimented me and I said, thank you for coming. And he said, oh, it's just so wonderful. This is a fresh new voice, David Yazbek music. And he was like, you know, this is a fresh new voice and you can tell him for me. And I said, oh, it's his first musical. And he was like, oh, well, you can tell him for me. It's just very thrilling to have a new voice in the theater. So I got to talk to Jerry Herman <laughs> as he put, as he put a big bill in my, in my little red bucket. So I so appreciate all your sharing. And Thanks, Carol. Thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And stay Thanks, safe. I will. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore, and the talent was booked by Anna Strout. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.